So Esther's scroll, which is the book of Esther as we know it, foreshadows the great end time spiritual war and the final victory Jesus brings. In fact, Esther chapter 9 sums up Purim as two days in which they would celebrate in every generation by every family, in every province, and every city as if they were relieved of their enemies all over again. So you're putting yourselves into their shoes and their lives were transformed from sorrow to joy and from mourning to festivity. There should be feasting, rejoicing, sending food portions one to another and giving gifts to the poor. That's the basically the next to last chapter of, of uh, Esther and Mordecai is summing up what God has put on his heart as a response. So What's interesting is Purim was such a big deal that those two days in Adar are compared to the holiest day of the Jewish year, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Now, I want you to think about this. Mm -hmm. If there were two more opposite days, I couldn't (laughs) figure out what they could be. At Yom Kippur, Jews are pleading for mercy from judgment. So there is that similarity. They dress in all white as if they're dead. They fast from food, drink, many other physical pleasures, and instead devote themselves to prayer and repentance in hopes that God will write their names in the book of life and rescue them from death. So on one sense, there is that, you know, kind of a similarity. It's not an impending thing, but it's there. Yom Kippur is the one day each year when the high priest can enter the Holy of Holies through the veil representing that separation between God and man due to man's sin. And, of course, that veil represented Jesus. So when he died on the cross for sin, which separated us from God, the veil of his body was torn. And that is the atonement for sin that otherwise will lead us to judgment, death, and hell. So the Day of Atonement is what we call the end times judgment day. So a young Kippur, Kippur, the high priest, would be covered in blood from making the sacrifice. They wore this white outfit, but when he goes into the Holy Holies, by that time, he's pouring blood on the mercy seat, or the kaparet, which means to purge or atone, and it relates to the word kipper. All right? So unlike the solemn day of fasting and dying to yourself on Yom Kippur, Purim is celebrated, as we said, noisemakers. It's loudly. Your costumes. It's like, woohoo. Is feasting and drinking and money to the poor, sending food to a friend, all mm-hmm. because God rescued his people. So it's like, wow, one is really somber. One's like massive celebration, which even today, my goodness, talk about a day getting out of hand. So perhaps the most interesting prophetic feature of Purim for Christians is its name. The Persian word Purim refers to the lots mm-hmm. that Haman cast to decide the date that Jews expected annihilation. But it kind of begs the question, why name a victory celebration after the tool your enemy used to terrorize you <laughs> to for a year? <laughs> it's like naming Passover, Death of the Firstborn Day. Yay! <laughs> you know, it's, it, it's like, where is this coming from? So when God established the feast, the holiest one was called Yom Kippur, or Kippur, was written in the plural as, if you read it in Hebrew, it says, not Kippur, but Kippurim. Mm. So Yom Kippur, when you write it, is always plural, Yom Kippurim, meaning multiple atonements. So one reason for that is the atonement is national, not for individuals. No one brought a sacrifice for their own sins because the atonement was for everyone, just like Jesus on the cross. But the plural Yom Kippurim also had a second meaning, created a rather unexplained foreshadowing. Yom Kippurim also literally means, I mean letter by letter, a day like Purim. Now here's the thing that's rather miraculous. That word and that meaning 
happens 1,000 years before Perm even existed. So I, you got to be thinking, it's a day like Perm, but what's Perm? And 1,000 years later, here we are at Perm. In Revelation 18, Jesus laid out the picture very clearly. Foretells of the great and final fall of Babylon the Great, ironically where Purim occurred, which take place in the end times right before the events of chapter 19, the wedding of God's people to Jesus and their remarkable battle to bring justice to the earth, the very circumstances that Forum foreshadows. So, you know, all these years later, for us, it's like, oh, well, there you go. That makes perfect sense. <laughs> Purim is the day that God has set aside or allots, you know, because allots, allotted or purimed to make mankind atone for their evil. Atonement also means reparation, payback, restitution. It's hard to miss. So about 600 years after Purim occurred, about 1,600 years after God named Yom Kippurim, he painted an unmistakable picture of his intentions and the veiled connotations of Kippurim. Now, sadly, for those Jews who reject Yeshua, Jesus, Purim can only ever be a celebration of an ancient victory over their enemies. But for his bride... Who's waiting for him to return and bring her to be with him forever, clothe her in white, marry her, and ride with her on white horses to destroy everyone who ever sought her destruction. Perm is so much more. It's this yearly anticipation of the victory of Jesus. It's the celebration day, and it's a very fitting celebration for Christians. Perm may be a reminder that to us that our wedding day to Jesus is already set. Right. So as we pass through tribulations, we'll hold on to hope knowing that even though evil threatens, victory is guaranteed. So that's one of the parts of this. And I'm going to take a little shift. We're going to keep on this idea of weddings and all. But I want to talk about the lion and the lamb next. Maybe a misunderstanding of some scriptures that uh, I think it, during this particular festival, it's important that we kind of think through and, and get the concept.